Welcome back to Second Helping, the top podcast choice of fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network with you alongside my great friend and co-host Brent Beard, college football analyst there at First Coast News in Jacksonville, Florida, also a longtime voter with the Heisman Trophy race. And Brent, getting you ready for a big week number 11 as we move into mid-November here. And we got a mix this week, don't we? We've got some high games, but then we've also got some games critical to the SEC Western Division race. Yeah, as we get uh, closer now toward the end of the season, which is hard to believe, the Everybody pretty much is playing again. Uh, we're glad to have a full deck of SEC games. Uh, and, Trav, before we get into the games uh, very quickly, uh, thanks for our listeners. We get reports on a regular basis that uh, the number of listeners the podcast is increasing. We're very grateful for that. And let me also say on behalf of Travis and myself, because we've had family who have served and who have either either are or been veterans. We thank you for what you have done in your act of service, and we certainly salute you for this week. Uh, but, yes, uh, looking forward to a, a a busy noon to probably past midnight for the SEC. And Absolutely, and we'll include our executive producer, Bill Oakley, on that thank you list as well, yes. helping make the podcast possible more so behind the scenes. But, Definitely a big thanks out to Bill, and you're right. It is a Veterans Day Thursday on the podcast as we uh, get you into the upcoming week and uh, weekend. And you know what we'll do is we'll move throughout the schedule and we'll get things going with one of those aforementioned buy games, the <laughs> New Mexico State Aggies. First of back-to-back road trips to the SEC for the Aggies, one of the few independent teams still out there who knows perhaps in the next couple of years we'll see nmsu in a league at the group of five level but it's 1.9 million for new mexico <laughs> state a one and eight team whose only win this season came at the hands of fcs south carolina state but brent this is an alabama team from a psyche perspective mm-hmm. at least on the offensive side of the ball could stand to see the ball go through the hoop a few times to use a basketball analogy yeah, uh, well said, no doubt, and the and I think this game not only provides an opportunity to be able to improve offensively, uh, you get a chance to play more players, particularly on that offensive line, because with the uh, uh, frankly the difficulty trap of at least two, if not three, teams coming up in Arkansas, Auburn, and very possibly Georgia. If, if Bama continues to uh, be able to win, uh, this is an important game for Darian Delcourt. Will he be able to play? And if he can't, uh, will Bama be able to play some of the younger players uh, in his stead? It's interesting, I think, right now, Travis, to see Will Anderson, uh, his name being talked about not only uh, for what he's done on the field, but also with the Heisman Trophy has been mentioned a few times. So New Mexico State, Travis told you the record uh, at this point. They do have a pretty good quarterback in Jonah Johnson, Johnson, who has thrown for over 200 yards in, in each of his last five games. Uh, but uh, no question, uh, a, 
a, a big game for momentum for the Tide uh, as they're staring Arkansas and Auburn right in the face. Yeah, championship season is about to get underway for Alabama, but you're right. Where that offensive line is concerned, we'll be interesting to see if Saturday is more of just a short-term fix, if Darian Dahlcourt can't go at center. We heard from Nick Saban on Wednesday mention the possibility of Seth McLaughlin, a second-year player being the next guy up and you sort of just automatically equate Chris Owens, the veteran who you did see in place a doll court at center moving from right tackle to the ball uh, in that game against LSU last Saturday night. Maybe it is McLaughlin who gets a look at center. And if that's the case, does that impact Owens in terms of his presence in the starting lineup? Because you've got Damian George, the young offensive tackle who you saw on the right side. Uh, once Owens went to center against LSU last week. So there'll be a lot of intrigue to see exactly what that first five for that Alabama offensive line looks like, both from a health perspective and then also in terms of effectiveness because they weren't that once Dahlcourt left the lineup. And even before Dahlcourt left the lineup against LSU, uh, they were having their struggles. So absolutely, Alabama with an opportunity to try to fix some things in a game situation before Arkansas heads to Tuscaloosa the following weekend. And then, of course, the trip to Auburn for the Iron Bowl on Thanksgiving weekend. So, Brent, let's move around the Southeastern Conference here, continue to look at some games for week 11 and one that in that early window on Saturday going to be a battle in styles, right? You're going to have Mississippi State with the air raid with that 3-3-5 defense of Zach Arnett and then an Auburn team that, as we've talked about throughout the season, typically you can draw a line in terms of success in the win-loss column for Auburn and also what it's able to do on the ground. So can Auburn run it? Can Mississippi State put the game more in Bo Nix's hands as a passer? Conversely, you know, Auburn with that front seven and its ability to get some pressure, how will it be able to affect Will Rogers and that Mississippi State passing game? Yeah, yeah, and how, how quickly can this Auburn offense uh, be able to uh, rebound from only scoring three points against Texas A&M? And as Travis and I have talked about uh, the, the entire year, Zach Arnett, the D coordinator for Mississippi State, who frankly has done a nice job. Uh, will Bo Nix be able to clean up last week? Uh, uh, he was sacked four times, which obviously includes the offensive line. Uh, had a fumble and a scoop and score. Also threw uh, a pick uh, with that, too. And, and we can't forget, again, uh, these games, aren't they travel for bowl game picking order in a lot of ways, uh, particularly for a uh, Mississippi State team at five and four uh, that really wants to uh, um, be able to at least split between Ole Miss uh, and Auburn uh, in these situations. Will Rogers completing an incredible 75% of his passes. We know those are short, almost running plays as they would call them at that, at that point too. And, and Trav, speaking of fixing things, uh, I'll be very curious how the field goal kicking goes at Mississippi State this weekend uh, when they go to Auburn, if that yeah. would be improved. Yeah, Leach, if you thought he was kidding about the open tryouts. No, uh, no. Yeah. Take uh, Mike Leach at his word. 
yes. on things like that. And you talk about bowl eligibility. If you don't get there this week, uh, if you're Mississippi State, you're going to get there next week with Tennessee State coming up on the schedule. But this is an opportunity in two of the last three games to you know, get wins over ranked opponents here for Mississippi State. And it's something they've been effective in. Seems like they've been better, other than the Alabama game, against ranked opponents um, yeah, than they have really. been against unranked opponents. They lost last week to unranked Arkansas on the road. They lost earlier in the season to unranked Memphis on the road. And then you look at the ranked wins that they have or they've had throughout the course of the season, and they've been better in those type of situations. We'll see on the road Saturday in that early matchup for Mississippi State. I think I like Auburn because I think offensively they should be able to do just enough. Um, But I will say this, Mississippi State has definitely made strides on the offensive side of the ball in the first full year of Will Rogers behind center. So should be a good one at Jordan-Hare Stadium to get you going on Saturday. Sanford visits Florida, one of those aforementioned by games that we were talking about. And before the season, we would have looked at this matchup and said, well, this is a chance for a Florida team that's maybe still in that SEC Eastern Division race to get some starters, some rest and healthy and you know, gear up for this final run here that includes the matchup with rival Florida State to end the regular season. But Wow, the storylines have definitely shifted in Gainesville these days, Brent. Uh, when all the talks about what's going on off the field instead of what your team is doing on the field, that tells you something. And, and look, they uh, they should beat uh, Sanford. But even Gator fans have told us this week, haven't they, Trav? They're wary a little bit of Sanford that's averaging 450 yards, 37 points uh, per game. Uh, and again, with the off-the-field stuff, uh, it look, and by the way, it looks like Anthony Richardson will be available. He was in um, uh, concussion protocol. Of course, Travis, he was also dancing in, in the yeah, hotel. You, Tweak you, that knee, too. Yeah, you got to keep him from dancing pregame <laughs> Friday night. So, you know? But the, the two things going on here that have really caught my eye this week, and I'm, I'm curious what you've seen in this. One, Dan Mullen singing a different tune to the media talking about a contrite contrite more contrite dan mullen it seems these days mentioning having egos in check which i thought was quite interesting (laughs) uh with with that pot kettle black uh yes yeah uh and the other thing and i'm i'm guessing you have the same thought i did on this i have a chance to do a podcast with shane matthews uh and that there were some viewer questions and the question is uh, who do you think is going to be the new offensive line coach and D coordinator? My comment on that was, uh, to me, that's almost irrelevant. Whoever whoever takes that job is going to have to, what, Trav, at least a guaranteed two- or three-year contract. I, if I was coming in there, wouldn't three, you want that at this three, point? Three years. Yeah, I need three. And then um, I'm probably going to be asked to recruit at yes. a higher level than my predecessor. I don't hey. think there's any doubt about that. Oh. So I'm probably going to need at least what Todd Grantham was getting. Yes. And I'm going to need it for three years. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, but they, and, and listen, one of the things you don't want to see Florida quarterbacks 
15 interceptions so far. That means, Trev, that they are 129 in the nation. Arizona's 130. So uh, uh, that's not where you want to be, is it? No. Now, you ought to be like up there with maybe Arizona and three-point shooting, you know, in basketball. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, when it comes to quarterback play these days, Arizona not exactly uh, setting the standard in any regard to football for that matter. Hey, let's get into that 3.30, 4 o'clock Eastern window where in that CBS game on Saturday afternoon, a very intriguing matchup as Georgia visits Knoxville to take on a Tennessee team coming off a huge win over Kentucky on the road last Saturday night. And boy, you talk about a contrast in styles, although you look at the numbers and Tennessee actually runs it for more per game than Georgia by about 27 yards per game. I think folks would be surprised by that because when I think of Tennessee these days, I think of Hendon Hooker and explosive plays in the passing game because we've seen a lot of that in the last month or so from this Tennessee offense, Brent. Well, and and to to back up what you're saying, to me the thing that's amazing about that, Trav, is Tyon Evans has had this nagging ankle injury and there for several weeks in a row, he was among the leaders. He's still 11th in the league with over 500 yards, but Jabari Small, Jalen Wright are guys, younger guys who are stepping up here uh, with this. And now, obviously, I think Georgia's going to win the game, but this is a team, and as Georgia beat writers told us for the Georgia-Florida game, that if you can get into the Georgia secondary you have got a shot at causing them some problems. And a guy like Cedric Tillman uh, can certainly do that. Javante Payton also included. Trev, one, one of the amazing stats that summarizes Tennessee team, they've got five touchdowns this year of 70-plus yards or more. Yeah. That, was, that was the same number, Trev, that they had from 2017 to 2020. That's unbelievable. Yeah, two in the first quarter last yeah. Saturday night. So, um, yeah, I'm with you. It, it, even with Tennessee, you look at Tennessee's running back situation. You mentioned Evans with the ankle. It's been a problem. But uh, Evans, small, whitehead. Tennessee has three backs that have 26 or more carries this season, averaging more than 5.1 per carry. So uh, they've gotten it done in the mm-hmm. run game, even with, what Tyson Chandler moving on, Eric yeah. Gray moving on at the running really? back position to power five destinations as transfers. They sort of backfilled without a problem and an offensive line that you've really wondered about going into the season. As long as they've been able to keep the Mays brothers on the field, at least they've been more than formidable. That being said, I do think again, going to be tough to run it against this mm-hmm. Georgia defense. And then it comes down to can Tennessee protect Hendon Hooker enough to allow him the opportunity to exploit some of those potential matchup uh, options that that Tennessee could have in the passing game when they spread the field with those four receivers and, you know, try to get them the ball both in the quick game and in some of the vertical stuff that they do. I think that's what that game will come down to in terms of keeping it competitive. I don't think either of us are thinking this is upset alert for Georgia on Saturday, but if Hooker's able to 
and, and both these quarterbacks, for that matter. When you look at both these quarterbacks, as we've talked about, the little general, Stetson Bennett for Georgia, his yards per attempt numbers. You look at Hendon Hooker right now, yards per attempt. Both these quarterbacks have hit for explosive plays on a consistent basis, stemming largely off the run game, but uh, something to keep an eye on Saturday afternoon at Neyland Stadium. At 4 o'clock Eastern on Saturday afternoon, the battle at Columbia. You fired up, Brent? (laughs) South Carolina making the trip from Columbia, South Carolina to Como, Columbia, Missouri, to take on the hapless Missouri Tigers. Bowl eligibility for both these teams hanging in the balance, Brent. Yeah, uh, Missouri with Brady Cook uh, right now having to be the quarterback. Tyler Beatty uh, shut down last week by Georgia, so that's no surprise. Tyler will probably be uh, uh, significant in this situation. Is and and what we have, what we have believe we have said this at the beginning of the year is South Carolina moving toward bowl eligibility uh, at this point as they ran all over Florida. That may not happen again for them for uh, quite a while, but it, but at the same time, yes, these are these are two teams who really need uh, to South Carolina to continue to see improvement for Missouri if they can get Connor Basilek back at some point this season uh, and certainly be able to do something with that defense, which will not be able to be fixed this year, uh, but can can. Uh, and this is a maturity game for South Carolina, Travis. And after being told how great they are from beating Florida, uh, do they fly to Missouri and lay an egg on Saturday? Yeah, Tyler Beatty from Missouri. Give that guy a lot of credit. He's over 1,000 rushing yards. Really? Averaging 6.2 per attempt. And that's with all the, the issues. Bazelak's been good. It isn't that he's been awful, but he has been dealing with injuries for quite some time now. So, you know it's Tyler Beatty for this offense on a weekly basis, and this guy's still putting up all SEC kind of numbers. If you're South Carolina, you'd love to go ahead and get this bowl eligibility oh, yeah. thing put to bed this week because coming up, while you will be at home, Auburn on the 20th, and then you get Clemson on the 27th. And whereas those are daunting games in the future, they don't seem as daunting as they no. did a couple of weeks ago. This is, speaks to the improvement made in year one under Shane Beamer. Well, and, and look, you've got a Clemson team right now, Travis, that uh, compared to what we've seen in the past few years, they simply can't score. So in this day yeah. and age, if and, and I'll be interested to see who uh, will be starting at, at uh, quarterback for South Carolina, but this age, Trev, we've seen all along, when you can't score – Every week, you're almost on the verge of an upset, aren't you? Yeah, you are. And South Carolina, we talk about that Auburn game. Uh, depending on what happens uh, here in the coming weeks, uh, that, that game could have implications, at least in terms of the bowl pecking order, True. if not the SEC Western Division race in general, depending on how some things play out in the next game we're going to talk about in that race in the SEC West. A big one at Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. On Saturday night, 7 Eastern kickoff on ESPN, Texas A&M, and Ole Miss get together. And again, Brent, you talk about potential long-term, long-range, and it's not that all all that long in the future here in mid-November. In the cu- coming weeks, how this game could impact the SEC West. 
no question about that. Uh, and, and how healthy is Matt Corral? Uh, and, so, and some of these receivers that have been hurt, how quickly are they going to be able to come back? Kudos again to that Ole Miss defense that shut down uh, Malik Willis and Liberty last week. They're talking about a different situation here, uh, frankly. And, and look, for uh, Trav, if Ole Miss can win this game, Getting getting at eight wins, which is kind of rarefied error as of late for the Rebels. Uh, I, I'm and I'm curious your thoughts on this. This Jeff Lebby, the Ole Miss offensive coordinator, versus Mike Elko, the A and M D coordinator, trapped to me on Saturday. That's one of the more interesting battles in the whole league. It is, and the concern you have for Lebby, as you outlined, exactly who is he going to have at near really? 100% to work with. Now, seeing Jerry and Ely last week back to his sort of explosive self was a real positive for that Ole Miss offense. But what about Dontario Drummond? Um, what about Matt Corral? There's also, and this is where you really don't want problems right now against this Texas A&M defense. There are health issues up front for this Ole right. Miss offensive line. I don't like this matchup for Ole Miss Saturday night at all. Now, look, crazy things can happen in primetime on Saturday nights in this league. We know that, especially when you're talking about going on the road from the Texas A&M perspective. But I think when you look at Ole Miss defensively, the first guy that comes to mind for me is Sam Williams. Yes. And he is an outstanding edge defender. The problem is Texas A&M may be able to neutralize him similar to what it did just enough against Will Anderson. A&M didn't run wild against Alabama, but it did enough. It got enough from its backs to keep Will Anderson at bay to an extent. I think A&M, even more so against this Ole Miss defense, will be able to do that with Sam Williams and his pass rush ability, his negative play ability with Spiller and A-Chain and that run game able to to make some hay against that 3-3-5 of Ole Miss. Uh, boy, Williams, 10 and a half sacks so far this year, so uh, he had just had an outstanding year uh, at this point. And speaking of that, Trav, uh, has Isaiah Spiller been the model of consistency uh, as of late? Third in the SEC, he'll have a 1,000 yards before the year is over. Certainly, a chain is doing it too, and and I I would think that that uh, that that blueprint, the kind of Alabama used against Ole Miss, will be repeated here. Uh, will be run, run, and run some more. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the approach for Texas A and M. And you talk about maturity a lot on this podcast, and I'd say that's what stood out to me about Isaiah Spiller this season the last couple of years you would see Spiller go for 151 week and then maybe you wouldn't see him as much yeah. for a couple of games uh sporadic the best way to describe it and that was with more veteran and capable offensive lines the previous years they've had turnover on the offensive line they've done a good job of rebuilding on the run there and Spiller and A-Chain is a combination in that backfield for A&M you're talking about a couple of guys that you know, around seven yards per carry between them, and they both can hit the home run. I think the perception is more that A-Chain with that track speed is more of that guy, but you talk about long runs for those two guys. A-Chain has one of 68 this season. Spiller has one of 67, so uh, they can get it done in a multitude of ways. And again, I just think Ole Miss, not only in terms of its health status 
on the offensive side of the ball, but just kind of how that team is built and where it's at from a right. Make no mistake about it. Right. A&M from a right, roster right. perspective, still the superior team when we talk about the Aggies and the Rebels. So let's talk about because we kind of have to, I guess, Kentucky at Vanderbilt <laughs> at seven Eastern on Saturday night. Boy, you talk about a game Kentucky needs at this point on its schedule and also a game though that similar to how we talked about Florida going to South Carolina last week I'm not sure that Kentucky can take Vanderbilt for yeah. granted right now because Vanderbilt is a team that had South Carolina beat on the road a couple of weeks ago uh, it, this is the problem with Kentucky and and Travis and I are both Mark Stoops fans and what he's able to do but but Travis aren't Aren't we seeing the same thing this year is a Kentucky team that starts well, had a big win over Florida that, that maybe not as mean as much now as it did uh, at that point. Uh, but, but, but to me, the thing that stands out for them that as, as they go, so goes Chris Rodriguez, second, the SEC in rushing uh, Kavasi smoke uh, is having a, I think a decent year again, Wondell Robinson has been great for them, Will Levis. But the thing about it is, uh, and, and amazingly, Kentucky running 99 plays, which I believe was a school record in that loss to Tennessee last week. So we know what they can do. But, 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 I, but Trev, I know we sound like a broken record here, and, and I know at the end of the year when Mark Stoops is, is reviewing this team, he's going to say we had a lot of opportunities that we lost because we could not value the ball and we had way too many turnovers. Yeah, that will always come back. You can talk about controlling the time of possession and, you know, racking up snaps, total plays, things like that. If you don't, A, take care of the football and right. B, limit explosive plays defensively, yes. it all goes for not. And so when you wonder – about a team like Alabama or LSU or maybe some of these teams that are traditionally known for pounding the rock and how they've evolved and become more infatuated with the explosive play capability in the passing game or just offensively in general. That's why, because you can be the better team for three quarters of the game. Sure. And in one quarter, basically, like Tennessee did against Kentucky, Wipe all that away simply by being more efficient in the area of turnover margin and ball security. And then also when you talk about explosive play capability, and I love Christian Rodriguez and I love that Kentucky run game. But at the end of the day, when you look at the top three rushers for Kentucky this season, none of them have a run of more than 33 yards. And you know who has the longest run of those three between Smoke, Rodriguez and Levis? It's the quarterback yeah, who yeah. has the 33-yarder. So uh, <laughs> it should get better, though, for Kentucky yeah. in Nashville on Saturday night and uh, in the process help Kentucky at least secure its current line in the bowl pecking order where SEC teams are concerned. Also on Saturday night, Saturday night in Death Valley, Brent, doesn't have the ring that it had just a couple Dope. of years ago, but. It will be the case as the Arkansas Razorbacks coming off an important win in terms of bowl eligibility, bowl pecking order over Mississippi State last Saturday, travels to Baton Rouge to take on LSU. The Tigers probably feeling pretty good about themselves, even in defeat 
I know we shouldn't be talking about an LSU program in terms of moral victories, but it definitely had the feel of that after the Tigers fell by just six on the road at Alabama. But here comes Arkansas. And an Arkansas team, as we've talked about, unlike a year ago, doesn't appear to be in hold-on mode as much in terms of its roster and its health status collectively. Um, obviously, Jalen Catalan that we've talked about in previous weeks, a big loss on the defensive side of the ball. But for the most part, this Arkansas team looks to be in pretty good shape. Yeah, and listen, this is a battle between two really – Efficient quarterbacks with KJ Jefferson and Max Johnson. Uh, Cordell Flott, defensive back, comes back for uh, LSU. LSU has all their three guards <laughs> in their depth chart that's out for the game, Travis. That's pretty typical uh, of what is going on uh, with this game here. The uh, This is the definitive stat for me for this week. In 2019, in the LSU-Arkansas game, LSU was a 43-point favorite. Trav, uh, two years later, Arkansas is a three-point favorite. Now, uh, now, I know a lot of things change uh, uh, o- over time, but look, if you're comparing wh- where O is right now and where Sam Pittman is right now, does that give you some indication of what's going on with these programs? <laughs> I think it pretty much does, no doubt about that. And I think the difference in this game, if there is one, I think LSU is going to employ a similar approach defensively. And we heard in the days after the Alabama LSU game that you know O had pretty much implemented some zero blitz packages and really came after Alabama on the defensive side of the ball. And I don't see any reason for that to change this week, but I do think with KJ Jefferson able to complement that Mm -hmm. run game, that's a difference to keep an eye on between Alabama and Arkansas this week. You just don't have anything designed for Bryce Young uh, in the run game. That'll be a little bit more of a challenge for LSU with the extra blocker and Jefferson in the run game perhaps, but yeah, this will be a fun one to watch in terms of, you know, can LSU get back to running the football with some semblance uh, that was on display to an extent against Alabama last week, rushed for over a hundred yards, did Ty Davis price. And can he maintain that sort of production against a Arkansas defense in recent years? That hasn't exactly been a strength for those guys. Uh, no, and, and uh, but I'm certainly not ignoring Arkansas now at six and three. I, I give Pittman again credit, Travis. They started out well, uh, obviously with wins over Texas and AM. Uh, then they hit the, the, that Georgia stretch, and now they're kind of picking themselves up again. And, and see, this could very well be the What's different about the Hogs as compared to Kentucky? Kentucky taking a nosedive in November, uh, and then maybe Arkansas picking things back up and finishing on a strong note would tell you a lot about the culture of that program. Really would, and I think, as we've talked about this schedule, more beneficial to Arkansas this season than last. To get the FCS opponent followed by the bye week in back-to-back weeks, that team needed it at that point of the season and uh, came back with a win over Mississippi State. Kentucky, I thought its bye fell in a good spot, Mm -hmm. but it didn't come out of that bye week uh, in losing two straight, uh, looking as if that was 
the case for sure. So a full slate of SEC action that we're talking about for you. With week 11 upon us, Brent, anything else, any thoughts from Tuesday night maybe in the college football playoff and the latest reveal of those rankings? A uh, couple things uh, but before we go. One would be, I, I look, I think the Michigan-Michigan State thing will work its way out. There's just too many Big Ten games left to play. Oklahoma at eight uh, may, if they, and, and they've got three really big games coming up, uh, particularly against Oklahoma State at the end of the year. If they keep winning, they could be the team that really is able to uh, uh, to improve itself and, and shoot up the rankings. Cincinnati, I think, is pretty well going to be where they will uh, be slotted at at five. Do you think there. Cincinnati's stuck there, or, uh, or do you think they're in a good spot now with uh, well, the way things could shake out? Well, if they have some chaos in front of them, then they could be in really good shape. But, yeah. Trav, I, I, again, I, I will be very surprised at the end of the year as they look over the schedule if this committee allows Cincinnati to be in. Yeah, and they're struggling with teams like Navy and Tulsa. They are, uh, I absolutely. Mean, you can't. You can't you can't ignore that. Yes, there yeah. are wins, but at the end of the day, you're projecting the top four teams uh, in college football. And and look, Cincinnati is a deserving program of a lot of things, but a spot among the top four in a playoff scenario, I, I'm not there yet with the Bearcats. No, no. And I don't think this committee is. Now, one thing that's going to help Cincinnati, and, and again, the, the uh, one thing to keep in mind, the uh, the commissioners are meeting about the extended playoff, and now the the interesting thing is they're uh, they're kind of revising it a little bit, kind of a a five plus one type thing that they're looking at, and all that to say without getting into all the all, all the details of it would be that there's where a Cincinnati tribe would get in, uh, would be in a an expanded playoff, and I would. I think I'd be fine with a situation like that. But right now, I, I'm with you. I just don't see anywhere in the world this committee is going to allow them to get in. And also, um, we'll talk more about the Heisman as it goes along. But uh, a couple guys, believe it or not, defensively, I'm not saying they're going to win. But Will Anderson from Alabama getting a lot of love. Jordan Davis from Georgia mm-hmm. also getting some love. Uh, and, and look. I'm all for a defensive player winning the Heisman. I have no trouble with that. I still would have to see it to believe it. But any surprises with you, Trav, as far as maybe looking at some defensive players this year? for the Not for me, um, not from the Alabama perspective, because I do top 12 titers for Bama Online on a weekly basis. I've had Will Anderson as Alabama's top player from wire to wire this season. Yeah, absolutely. That's understanding Bryce Young has had a tremendous season to this point. And when you talk about viability where the Heisman Trophy is concerned, I still think Bryce is the more viable candidate for what mm-hmm. the award has become. Sure, sure. If you want to ask me who Alabama's top football player is, without hesitation, I'll tell you Will Anderson. So, no, I'm I'm all I've been all aboard the Will Anderson train. This isn't a last week or two thing for me. Uh, this is the way I've had it throughout the course of the entire season. So absolutely. He's a generational yes. type defensive player. Bama that hasn't had a shortage of those kind of guys. <laughs> so 
no, I, I think it would be great to see any of those guys up there, but specifically, uh, you know, Will Anderson's just having that kind of year and he may have the stages here late too, right? Yeah. You know, if Arkansas Absolutely. beats LSU Saturday night, comes into Tuscaloosa as a top 20 team and, you know, Will goes off in a game like that, maybe Auburn, uh, takes care of business on Saturday against Mississippi State and then South Carolina on the road setting up an even bigger Iron Bowl potentially and he goes off against Auburn gets to the SEC championship game has a big game against the Bulldogs oh there's certainly the potential for the tide so to speak to rise where Will Anderson is concerned as we head down this stretch run yeah, absolutely. Of course, reality is with the media, with Alabama fatigue, vote for, <laughs> well, vote for already, two Bama a players. Lot of, a lot of voters out of there already had enough of Bama. Yes. So uh, yes. to, to, to put Bama over the top with a defensive player as a Heisman Trophy winner, <laughs> uh, that might that might be a little bit of a, you know, I get it. You know, there's a lot of folks out there. It's, it's mm-hmm. just been this decade and a half of just constant Bama. So you, you understand a lot of that as well all right brent always a lot of fun definitely look forward to recapping all the action of week 11 early next week yeah it should be an amazing week and again uh, as we go thank you for our our viewers and listeners and thank you uh, for our veterans trap for all they've done for us and continue to do so no doubt about that for brent beard travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us here on second helping if you haven't already how about a subscription to second helping wherever you consume podcasts you're going to find us Simple as a click or two. And if you would leave us a rating and a review for Second Helping, we would certainly appreciate that as well. For Brent Beard, executive producer, Bill Oakley, I'm Travis Ryer, thanking you once again. And we'll talk to you when Second Helping returns early next week.